7 o'clock this morning here at 42nd Street. And a uh, good reminder that uh, the steadfast of the Lord never ceases, that his mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning, and great is his faithfulness. So <clears throat> what does a pastor preach on? What does a pastor say to the beloved church family he has been honored to help plant and pastor for 37 years as he announces his request for completing his service as a pastor. Well, this is the subject of the challenge I have before me today. And even though the proposed transition is not immediate and could be up to a year or more depending on the needs of faith, uh, this feels like a rather daunting challenge. Uh, I'm grateful that God is not surprised and our God is not overwhelmed by such matters or leadership transitions, which he has sovereignly designed such moments and promises to be with us and carry us through it all. Now, if this is the first time that you are here visiting Faith, welcome. You can say you were here at a historic moment. <laughs> uh, and if you have been here at Faith in this journey with us, whether short or long, and are now hearing this for the first time, or maybe you got the news through the email letter from the church office, I'm glad that you are here so that I have the opportunity to address you directly. The pastor who mentored me said to me, don't take yourself too seriously. He said, I asked for God's job, but he said I wasn't qualified. We only have one great shepherd, and I'm not him. I'm grateful that I'm not. <laughs> a lot of times we take things more seriously than we should. We pack more weight than we should have, and we leave God out. And it's easy to do that. Yesterday, my daughter Juliana uh, was rear-ended near York Road and Northern Parkway. Uh, this new Cherokee. Uh, Cherokee Jeep got the worst of it when she when he ran into Juliana's 1998 Honda CRV. Now everybody was physically fine, and I was texting our family about the news and took this selfie picture with this slide. And I said, "I've pastored 37 years, and I look better than this new Jeep." The fact is that the God who has called faith into existence, uh, who used Maria and I to help plant and pastor this church over these years, is the same God who has persevered and sustained both the church and us, and is the same God who promises to be with us and to be with his beloved bride of FCF to give us a hope and a future. God establishes. God sustains and God advances his purposes, his people, his church, and his kingdom. However short or long you have been with us at faith, you can testify to the fact that God has been faithful, that he is good. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. All glory goes to our God. If you haven't gotten a copy of the communication, as, as uh, Elder Bill says, it's, that was sent out in the email, it is at the Welcome Connections desk in the foyer, and I, re I will repeat some of those things that are contained in that message. Well, so what does a pastor preach on in such a time like this? I would like to briefly review with you a portion of Acts 2. Now, this is the greatest of all leadership transitions, which follows is Jesus' resurrection, his resurrection appearances, and his instructions with his disciples over 40 days, his ascension to heaven where he reigns and he takes up his central command post that is followed by the waiting on the Lord for in prayer for the power from on high. They are in prayer waiting, 120 disciples and apostles and, and the women, and, uh, and they're up in the upper room, and Jesus told them to wait for this power, and that time has now come. It is the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is the seven weeks after Passover. It was the one of the holy celebration days in the Israel calendar where they celebrated the ingathering of the harvest, the grain harvest. And so there were about 30,000 people that occupied Jerusalem. But in, the, in this kind of celebration, the diaspora, all the people of Jew, the Jewish people from the Roman Empire would descend upon Jerusalem so there would, would grow to about 200 plus thousand people so it was a packed city full of, uh, of celebration and full of, of worshiping God and these God fearers came and it says that while they were in this upper room praying that the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles in a sign of tongues of flame uh, they weren't consumed, but they were. it was very visible, supernatural evidence of God doing something spectacular. These tongues came over the apostles, and then they started to speak, these apostles, never learning the languages of these, of these various regions that came to, uh, to Jerusalem, and they started to speak in their particular tongues. And some were amazed that these Galileans were able to articulate the praises of God in their own languages, and then and some thought that they were drunk. And so then Peter stands up and he gives them the meaning of this event. And it's in chapter 2, starting with verse 14. Let's consider this together. This is Peter's first sermon, or portion of it. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let, us, let this be known to you. And give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun 
shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. This is Peter's first sermon, his first preaching assignment. And uh, we only read like seven verses. There's only 25 verses altogether contained here in Acts on his sermon. And then it says 3,000 people committed their lives to Jesus. <laughs> that must have been a great sermon. You know, short sermons can be very powerful. And some of you might be saying, yeah, we need more shorter sermons here. But actually, uh, it says in verse 40 that with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. So this isn't the whole story. This wasn't the whole message. I remember my first practice sermon in seminary. Apparently, it was scheduled at a very odd time. And uh, the only person that I was preaching to was the homiletics professor. The, and it was just one person. And that's a really weird thing preaching to just one person who's grading you. Uh, and so it was at the same time I was courting or dating uh, Maria. Uh, she was in Charleston. I was in St. Louis. And I was very distracted. And let's just say I hadn't really prepared very well that message. And somehow I got stuck in the introduction, and I just couldn't get into the core. And so I started to talk about something to introduce the message, and I must have been stuck there for about 10 minutes, and he stopped me. And he says, well, hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you we just stop here, and let's go over what you have. <laughs> he was very gracious and generous to me. Now, if he had asked me, and if, if he were to, if somebody were to say to him, well, do you think this man has potential for the ministry or the call of the ministry? Uh, I don't think he would say I did. <laughs> And this is one of the great things about Jesus is that he takes really weak men <laughs> and messed up piles of clay and he sees beyond their weaknesses and he forms them into something that he can use. I've been honored to be used. So here in Acts, it's not mainly about the acts of the apostles, but it's about the continuing acts of Jesus working through the spirit-filled apostles who were recent cowards who recently denied him and deserted him. And here in Acts 2, we see the beginning of the spirit-filling and the beginning of the apostles' public ministry where Jesus launches his disciples as harvest workers in his harvest field. Now, these harvest workers understand three things in this passage. The urgency of the kingdom the unleashing of the Spirit, and the summons of salvation. You know, Jesus talked in Matthew, where we went through this Gospel of Matthew, where in chapter 9, he asked his disciples to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth workers in his harvest field, uh, because the fields are ripe for harvest. And so, here we find that this harvest has now arrived and Jesus is sending out his disciples and they understand the urgency of the kingdom and so Peter uh, stands up and he says and he quotes Joel 2 uh, I find it to be rather amazing because you know 
it really seems out of character for Peter. <laughs> I mean, this sermon, it's, it's really tight. It's really packed. It's got all the essential ingredients. He's connecting with the audience. And he's quoting a pretty dense passage from Joel 2. And where did Peter get the, this kind of preaching instruction? Well, you know, Jesus spent 40 days with these apostles before he spent three years with them. He's prepping them, training them. And I'm certain, I believe that Jesus was going through what was about to happen. And I bet you he was going through the Old Testament predictions about what was to unfold and that he talked to them about Joel 2. But it says in Joel 2, in the last days it shall be that he will pour out uh, God will pour out a spear on all flesh. And it says in verse 20, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And so we see that, that, that Peter is acknowledging that, that this prophecy has now come true. That Jesus has ushered in the kingdom, that the last days have now begun, and we are now in those last days, and those last days begun with the ascension of Jesus, the pouring out of the Spirit, and we are waiting for the final day of the Lord where the climactic end of history will occur and the judgment throne of God will be established and the, and the books will be opened. And so Peter is acknowledging this fulfillment of Joel. You know, when Jesus began his public ministry, he, he began it in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4. And, and uh, he get, opens the scroll and he quotes uh, Isaiah where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the captive, sight to the blind. And he sits down and, and he says this. He says, This is fulfilled in your presence. This, is, this has been fulfilled today. And Jesus is saying, I have come to usher in this kingdom. And now Jesus is saying through Peter, he has now ushered in the last days. The time has come. These are the miraculous signs that reveal that these are the last days. And so there's a sense of the urgency of the kingdom as the people in Jerusalem have gathered and they are hearing the message of who Jesus is. Time. There's an emphasis here on time, last days, the judgment day to come, the day of the Lord to come. Uh, we heard from Psalm 90, how soon our days go by and they fly away. And, and the psalmist says, teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. I remember hearing a pastor who's generation of fathers his father his grandfather and his great-grandfather all died by the time they were like 54 or something and this pastor was in his 40s and he had a very real sense that his genetics were designed such that it was high probability that he would not live past a certain age and he literally was counting his days literally recognizing the shortness and the brevity of life. I think most of us, we don't realize how short our lives are. We think that this life just goes on forever, and we don't recognize how vulnerable we are and how short and brief our lives are. We don't take into account the brevity 
of life. I think the thing that has been, has been somewhat uh, of a focus in my own heart is this passage from Numbers chapter 8. Uh, this kind of initiated my thoughts in this uh, thought of transition. In Numbers 8, uh, the Lord told Moses about the service of the priesthood. This applies to the Levites. Men 25 years old or more shall come to take part in the work of the tent of meeting, but at the age of 50, they must retire from their regular service. They may assist brothers in performing their duties. So, Apparently, within the economy and the structure of Israel, there was an acknowledgement that a person serving in a priestly capacity could give 25 years of his major foremost strength to this. But then he had to, he had to release that, and he, had to, he could assist. He still had a place in the community. He still had support, and he still had... A fellowship, but in terms of what he could do in terms of a primary thing, God designed within the structure a movement towards assisting versus being the primary. Well, yesterday I turned 63, so I'm already like 13 years past due. And instead of being 25 years in a primary role, I've been 37, so God I've been stretching this out. You've allowed me to stretch this out. You know, one of the things about uh, pastorates is that, um, particularly long-term pastorates, they say that wisdom dictates that every leader, every pastor, should see themselves as an interim. Uh, They're they're temporary. They don't think that you're just permanent. But a lot of times in, in, in churches or pastors that have been there for a long time, it gets this weird state where the pastor is aging, people know that he's lost his prime, and that there's a need for transition, but nobody wants to talk about it. You know, this is beloved pastor. Well, wisdom says we should talk about it. Wisdom says it's important for us to talk about the realities of the brevity of life and the capacity that people have. And so the session of our church has been talking about this. And actually, it was part of the strategic plan that we had as a church five years ago. We started recognizing this is an important subject that we need to talk about. And so it's been talked about. But really, in the last year, it's become clearer about exactly uh, that flow of transition. But I think it's important, as Peter talks about, that the last days have come. And we are in those last days, and the judgment is before us. The last day, the judgment of the Lord is before us, and we need to recognize the value of time and where we fit into that. But then it says, the unleashing of the Spirit. In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on your male servants and female servants on these, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And the stress here is that the spirit of God will be poured out upon all flesh. Now, before in the Old Testament, the spirit was poured out on particular persons. Uh, there was an anointing like on David or maybe Saul for a period of time or Moses or the pro- on prophets. 
uh, women prophetesses were there, were anointed, for, but there was like a very limited number of people. But Moses uh, told Joshua that he wished that the Spirit would be poured out upon all flesh. Joshua saw these two guys that were prophesying. He was telling them to tell tell them to stop prophesying. Moses and and Moses said no. He says, I wish that all God's people uh, had the Spirit. Uh, but now the Spirit has been poured out, and one of the signs is, is that it's not limited to any. It's not like it's on every single person, but it's on those believers from all nationality. There's no social class. There's no ethnicity. There's no particular gender. It is all flesh have the ability to, be the whole, to have the Spirit. And so this outpouring is, comes upon these apostles, and they're speaking in these various languages, and uh, it is a, indeed a sign of the kingdom of God and the expansiveness. Uh, this past week, uh, there was a newspaper reporter, uh, Jax Kelly, who writes a lot of the historical pieces about Baltimore and the different neighborhoods, and he did a story uh, concerning this the the, uh, the property, the Moran Funeral Home that's going to be demolished this month uh, to make space for restoration gardens to the uh, transition or the housing for homeless youth. And uh, he came and he interviewed, uh, he had interviewed me and, and several of the other leaders. I think we have a slide of this. Um, this was in yesterday's paper. And one of the things I tried to tell uh, Mr. Kelly and of course, there's limitations in terms of how much he can actually write. But I would try to tell him, I said, you know, on this street, it used to be called Boundary Avenue, 42nd Street, there was a family uh, by the name of Mr. and Mrs. George Stagmer, lived right here at four, 504 East 42nd Street. And they had a burden for a mission school for the children of this community, and particularly the children that suffered with various disabilities, because there, this wasn't a place, time of cars. It was, you know, people walked, and, and it was hard for them to get to the next church that was closest, which was actually in Waverly. And so they started to have prayer meetings in their home. And then they started to have prayer meetings in other homes in Penn Lucy community to pray that a mission school would be established here, a school that would serve the children, the youth of this community. That was over 100 years ago. And when Faith Christian Fellowship occupied this space, we kind of saw ourselves as wanting to be part of the answer to those prayers, to that vision that Mr. and Mrs. George Stagmer had. And by God's grace, we've been able to have a strong children's and youth ministry for these decades. But I believe that even this home for youth, homeless youth, is part of the answer to that prayer. And the, these precious young people uh, and all the potential that exists and how even we could be part of what God wants to do with them. God is a God who gives visions and dreams <laughs> to his people that come to fruition. Uh, when, I, uh, when Marie and I first were asked to to be church planters here for Faith Christian Fellowship 37 years ago. I, my brother-in-law worked for uh, the uh, Rhodes uh, Division, and he had this big map, the Baltimore, that he gave me, and I had this map plastered in my 
uh, my house, and I put across the top of the Baltimore vision, and uh, there's a verse in, uh, I think it's in Proverbs, uh, where there is no vision, the people perish. Maybe a lot of you have heard that. Actually, here, it's not about your particular vision. Actually, it's without revelation, without the revelation of God, the people perish. Uh, and that people need to have God's vision and God's revelation. Uh, but over the course of time, we've dreamed dreams. We've had visions. We've seen visions come to fruition. We've also seen visions go to death. You know, we might have a vision for a while and we see a vision die. But here's the thing. God is the one who moves through the birthing of his visions through his people, the, the conclusion of particular visions and the birthing of new visions and this is what God does and he will often break us in the midst of that so that we're dependent upon him and so we see this unleashing of the spirit and by the way you know last week was a beautiful picture of the spirit of God poured out upon the whole church in Easter that resurrection celebration uh, I, we, Marie and I had a friend from our body pump class that we go to in Towson who knew about the Easter service we invited, and she came, and she doesn't frequent church. And she couldn't stop saying that how welcome she felt in this body. Uh, she was enraptured in the worship experience, but she was enraptured in the love of the people. She said, people would come up and just give me a hug. They'd never met me before. That's beautiful to hear that. That is a representation of the Spirit's filling a people to love on others. Thank you for being faithful to that. But the final thing is... Actually, it's not the final thing. There's a... Uh, there's a verse in... Uh, First Chronicles 12, it talks about the di different tribes of, Is of uh, Israel. And it says about the tribe of Issachar, that these men of Issachar knew, who understood the times and knew what Israel was to do. And so I think the big question is, what are we to do? Uh, what's Faith Christian Fellowship to do? What, what am I to do? What is Pastor Stan to do? And this has been a subject of our prayers and our pursuits uh, and so in the course of uh, this past year, uh, as we think about what is the best service for aging pastors, uh, and particularly for me as this first aging pastor, is uh, coming alongside and assisting younger emerging leaders. Uh, and so we, we have developed a vision of what's called Baltimore Antioch Leadership Movement, uh, BOM. You know, there's, is there a bomb? Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? Well, there is a bomb. There is a God of healing. And we believe that, that, that God is doing a work of healing and of, uh, of ministry in Baltimore City. So we're calling it Baltimore Antioch Leadership Movement. Uh, last year, Pastor Stan and I put together a grant proposal uh, that addressed uh, the 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 way to help develop emerging leaders in theological training, equipping, uh, church planting residencies, internships, uh, and also ministry to the poor. How do we equip leaders in the holistic kind of ministry that faith has been practicing for over three decades? And so, uh, let me see the next slide. 
So uh, this, we're part of a larger body of churches. We call it the Chesapeake Presbytery. And so the, this Baltimore Antioch leadership movement is to be uh, sponsored by the Chesapeake Presbytery, but serving in strategic partnership with Faith Christian Fellowship. So the, the vision is that faith could be a teaching church. Uh, like a teaching hospital like Johns Hopkins, raising up physicians and sending them out. This could be a place to equip emerging leaders uh, with the tools and the equipment of addressing a multi-ethnic society and the commitment of justice and mercy ministry. And so uh, we're going to talk more about this on May the 3rd and like to welcome anyone to come to that. But uh, the last thing is uh, the summons of salvation. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord uh, shall be saved. Uh, <clears throat> Some people say, well, does it just mean that, you know, I'm in, uh, I'm in a jam, I'm just going to call out to God and he's going to save me? Well, God will save you if you're a person who cries out in sincerity and humility of heart. God will save you. But this, is, this reveals itself later at the end of Peter's message when he tells them that they were the ones that crucified Jesus, and that this, but this Jesus could not be uh, uh, kept into the grave but rose from the dead and poured out his Holy Spirit, which they now have experienced, and their hearts were cut. And he said, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... So really, a call, who calls on the name of the Lord is defined by repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. And so, this is for any here. Uh, if you call upon the name of the Lord, if you confess your sins, if you acknowledge that Jesus is the, your only Savior, He promises to save you. It's not based upon what you do. It's not based upon how good you are. It's based purely upon His grace. But you know, this faith and this repentance is not something that we just do once, by the way. It's something that we have to practice every day. I have uh, sometimes wondered in the process of thinking about this transition, it's not like somebody's offering me a job. <clears throat> I'm a 63-year-old man looking for a job. <laughs> okay, this is not really the great time to be looking for a job. Uh, but... And so I'm wondering, is this really what God is doing? Is God really in this whole thing? Is this what he wants? And so this has been a question. Is this just some kind of ideas in my own head? Or is this something that God is actually in? And so uh, it's been a journey of faith. You know, there's something about faith, isn't it? Hebrews 1 or 11 tells us faith is the assurance of things unseen conviction of things hoped for. Without faith, it's impossible to, 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 to please God because uh, God rewards those who earnestly uh, seek him, who trust him. And so just like Abraham, when he was an old dude, God sent him out. He didn't know where he was going. <laughs> uh, Moses, uh, all of these people were, were engaged in a, in a work. A lot of times you work walking in a sense of darkness, but you believe that God exists, and you believe he rewards those who earnestly seek him, and you believe that Jesus did rise from the dead, and you believe that he has a mission 
for his people. And so you say, God, how can I be part of what you're doing? And how can I be faithful to this season and this time? And so out of that emerged this. Uh, Pastor Stan and I received a grant for a bomb from our denominational headquarters. So that was the confirmation. The Chesapeake Presbytery, through the missions committee, adopted this mission as part of the mission of the, the larger regional church. So that was uh, confirmation. Uh, but again, this thing is emerging. But it's important for us to recognize that he is the God in the missions, in the visions, and that he is the one who will guide and direct. And we might stumble and fall, but God will never forsake us. He will never leave us. Finally, I'm going to read to you a... Uh, a journal, probably one of the things that has sustained me in the ministry over the course of these 37 years is my prayer journals, like doing battle with God through the word and through prayer, but actually writing out my prayers and trying to sense what God is saying to me in the midst of like really despairing moments. I've had a lot of despairing moments in ministry. I felt like quitting a lot more than you can imagine. Uh, but it's God that has sustained me. And so about 20, uh, 21 years ago, I just I had one of those moments where I just felt like I'm not the right guy for this job. And actually, uh, Pastor Thurman Williams, he was our youth pastor, and Pastor Thurman Williams came from like four generations of preachers. And when he mounted the pulpit, it was like, pretty amazing and uh and of course all my insecurities kind of arose and i said you know i need to just i need to leave right now but he hadn't finished seminary and he was still a young emerging pastor so so but anyhow let me read this to you last night was tough i was feeling attacked in my heart the church needs a black pastor to reach the area thurman he's the greatest preacher i've ever heard you can't preach you shouldn't be pastoring. Go away. You're no good for this church. Don't try. Quit. Find something else to do. Anything else. God doesn't want you here anymore. These are the voices in my heart. These are the voices that destabilized me. I, sought to believe, I start to believe them. I know there are bits of truth in them, but I tend to validate the whole. I don't want to be like some who seem to be holding on longer than they should. Father, you know this battle in my heart. What is the proper response? What is your response? And this is what I sense God saying. Someday my work for you will be finished at Faith Christian Fellowship. You will know when that time has come. It will not come through sharp statements that challenge your leadership. Throughout history, my servants have always had their share of criticism and fiery darts to discourage them from serving me and continuing the fight. Moses, David, Paul... People have not called you. I have called you. You are in a warfare. The enemy wants you to retreat, to quit, to find some other vocation, anything but the proclamation of my word and prayer. Don't believe it. Refuse to entertain it. I have not called you to be the pastor of a black church or a white church or an Asian multiracial church. I have called you to be the pastor of a reconciled community, a church of many nations. I've called you to pastor my church. 
Be an evangelist where you are. Shepherd all those I am bringing to you. Develop and raise up godly leaders to share in the work. Invest and prepare my servant Thurman for the work I will call him to do. I ask God, how will I know? What will be the signs? Will it come in a whirlwind? Will it come in a storm? Will I be uprooted in an instant? Or will it come as a gentle breeze, a calm wind, a rising tide that provides warning in time of preparation? And this is what I sense God saying, you will know, your leaders will know, most of your flock will know. And then I ask, what should I do until then? How shall I prepare? And this is what I sensed. Trust me, rest in me, I will prepare you. Persevere in what I have called you. Preach my word, teach and shepherd, lead and develop, evangelize, pray. Let nothing move you. Stand firm. I love you. I will be faithful to you throughout it all. Don't let anyone rob you of my joy. Remain in my word. Let it abide in your heart. Keep close. Draw near. I will never leave you. So that was uh, one of those entries 21 years ago. It has been a great honor and privilege for Marie and I to have been in this journey with you and to uh, experience Christ in such a powerful way. We have experienced the fellowship of his sufferings. I felt overwhelmed many times and wanted to quit, but also sensing the power of his resurrection. And I have felt his love through you. And, uh, and we are deeply honored to be in this journey. And we're going to continue to be in a journey. But somewhere over the course of the next year, God's going to move me from being uh, your pastor, your senior pastor. And, and uh, I'm not sure how this, I know I'm going to go through a big valley. <laughs> we probably all are. But God is in our valleys and God is in the mountaintops and he will be with us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.